This is Eric and Jordan from My Brothers and I. I'm Vince. I'm Boyd. This is Josh from Adverse Effects. This is Zanny, Rebecca, and Katie, and we are The, the Cabin, Cabin Project. Project. This is Travis from The Audio Sequence. I'm Jason Amare, and you're listening to Sounds of PDX. Sounds of PDX. Sounds of PDX on PRP. 99.1 PRP.FM, that's what you're listening to. You, you're on Portland Radio Project. It is Thursday night. You're listening to Sounds of PDX. I got three guests in the studio with me today. I have members from Pseudobox, Foxy Lemon, and the Pining Hearts. Guys, thanks so much for being here tonight. Yeah. yeah. Get things started here with a, a special request from Charlie from Pseudobox. This is Queen live at Montreal. I'm going to chat with him once we're back. That is the alternate version of We Will Rock You by Queen. That was an influence brought into me by uh, actually Justin from Pseudoboss, but Charlie's here to speak with us about that. What's going on, man? Yeah, so, well, we're all huge Queen fans in the band. In fact, Noah's warm-up is usually, uh, show somebody a good time, do-do-do-do, whatever that, I can't remember the words because yeah. I'm terrible at lyrics, but everybody <laughs> probably recognizes that melody. And uh, we were joking around in practice the other day, or a while ago, like listening to Queen versions and... I think either Justin or Noah brought this one up. He's like, yeah, check this out. I think it was Noah, actually. And he's like, it's a whole different arrangement for the, you know, the song that everybody knows. Because we were actually talking about song ownership and arrangements and, like, what, what is a song and how do you claim ownership over it? And, like, obviously, every, nobody would doubt that that song is We Will Rock You, but it's not We Will Rock You at the same time. So it's like, where do you have ownership over that arrangement versus the one on the album and like all mm -hmm. these kinds of stuff. And we're using it as kind of an example in a way, but also we really liked it and we were talking about maybe adding it to our set list, that version of it, not the original one, or finding a way to mesh the two together, which would be really cool. Yeah. Where you sort of, you start with the iconic intro and then you're just like, F it. And then, you know, like, tempo. Yeah. Well, that's a cool example because we're ultimately talking about festival bands tonight. I thought that was a fitting topic because all three bands I have here have big festival sounds. So let's go around the room. What was the first festival, if any, that you all went to? You're going to laugh at mine. Yeah. I think it was Kerrville Folk Festival for me. Okay. South by. South by. Nice. Um,. I think that mine would have been the Wakarusa. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, sorry. Where's Wakarusa? Uh, Arkansas. Ozark, Arkansas. Oh, okay. Mulberry Mountain. Nice. Yep. I don't know if this was a festival, but it kind of was, was the Anger Management Tour. Anger Management Tour. Oh, you're going to laugh. It, no, it, no. it had Exhibit when he still rapped before he had a, uh, uh, a t uh, you know, his TV show. Corn. Uh, Limp Biscuit, actually. Biscuit, that's <laughs> yeah, Limp Biscuit. Uh, Eminem. It also had Eminem when he would come up and he would come up from the stage in overalls and a Jason mask and a fake chainsaw, and uh, and um, what was the last one? Hoobastank. Oh, I wow. think was was the one. And I was just like, I'm so stoked because I actually I'm still a big Limp Biscuit fan. Y'all can hate on me all you want, but that that album, Three Dollar Bill, y'all is is great. Yeah, my hey. my wife will to her grave defend Roland by Limp Biscuit. She yeah. loves that song. I was like, yeah, you, you know, know. And sometimes you just got to listen to break stuff i mean that that song just kills it still yeah they but, they put out some uh, appropriately aggressive stuff
stuff for the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think my first true festival, though, was uh, Lollapalooza when it was still actually touring. But that was a killer lineup. It was like a perfect circle, Jurassic 5, Audio Slave, oh, wow. uh, Jane's Addiction. And it was really cool because Jane's Addiction came out and played Ben Caught Stealing and Tom Morello hopped on stage because he was there with Audio Slave and took like a rage solo on top of Ben Caught Stealing. And I, all my friends hated Jane's Addiction. I was the only one. But I was like, guys, and they dragged me away. As was, he was Dave solo. Navarro on stage? Yeah, and he okay. made Dave Navarro look like chump change. It was, was really <laughs> going to say, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Dave, Tom, you're a Tom good guitarist, Morello. but Tom's just better. <laughs> so I did some research. I don't know if you guys know this. They, they, uh, I wanted to look up what was the actual first music festival in the United States, and they said on June 10th and 11th in 1967, one week before Monterey Pop Festival and two years before Woodstock, tens of thousands of Bay Area music fans converged on Sidney B. Cushing Memorial Amphitheater, and that's in Marin County, California. Um, there was, it was basically a promotion for a radio station out there. Um, it's called the Fantasy Fair and Magic Mountain Music Festival. And they had 30 acts, including the Doors, Jefferson Airplane, uh, the Birds, Captain Beefheart, and the Magic Band. Just wow. Captain Beefheart, yeah. Beefheart. yeah. My mom actually caught that festival. Are you serious? I'm not kidding. All right, Ryan. <laughs> I'm going to have you take the mic, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to hear about this. Uh, it was just one of many stories that she got to tell me as I was growing up, and I just, you know, was able to, uh, you know, be totally frustrated at all of her experiences, you know. That yeah, was just, Appropriately oh, jealous. And she, you know, talked about all those bands, Airplane and, and The Doors, man. Yeah. yeah, their first iteration is Airplane. Yeah. Uh, well, let's keep the microphone on you all because you guys brought in Like a Rolling Stone by Jimi Hendrix. Mm. Or we actually talked about um, that, and there's also a Woodstock influence as well. So we got Hendrix a couple times. But w why about this one? I, first of all, I think it's cool that he did so many covers of Dylan. So, Well, it's a ballad, you know, um, and I think... Uh, I think it was an homage to uh, to Bob Dylan's songwriting, and it's also um, I think he came up with the I mean that main lick, you know, at the beginning kind of exhibits uh, what Hendrix used to like to do to to songs that he would cover. You know, he'd mm -hmm. like keep the essence of the song intact, but then add a little something on top that mm -hmm. sounded just like him. And uh, and I mean, so we we do a couple of covers sometimes, and I, I think uh, we try to put our own little spin on it. You know, so. I think that's good advice because, I mean, especially if you're in a festival setting or large venue setting, people want to hear covers. I think they want something that's a little bit familiar. It may have been taboo back in the day, but uh, Kivett said it right. Jimi Hendrix is the master of recreating covers. So here he is with Like a Rolling Stone here on PRP. That's Kings of Leon here on Portland Radio Project. You're listening to Sounds of PDX, and I have three special guests. I have members from Foxy Lemon, Pseudoboss, and the Pining Hearts in studio with us tonight. Uh, we're talking about festival bands, great live shows, and listening to a killer playlist, um, the PDX Spotlight playlist. So, guys, um, that last influence was actually brought in um, by the folks in Foxy Lemon, and I believe Locke is supposed to be here. Not here yet, but um, it, what is it about bands like Kings of Leon, I guess, early in their earlier days, uh, before, like we were talking about the radio side, what do you think it is about some of those early live bands that just have that kick-in-the-teeth rock and roll thing that, that's so appealing to a live audience? Yeah, I think it's just all, like, the, uh, like, the kind of, like, raw, you know, rock emotion, you know what I'm saying, that I think, a, like, a lot of people can identify with, you know? 
And um, I think also, like, the simplicity of, like, almost, like, the just, like, rawness, too, as well, just, like, really, I think, sets off that whole type of era of music, you know? <laughs> like, it's really, really yeah. awesome. Yeah. Do you think it has anything to do with accessibility? So maybe yeah, intimidating possibly. for some people to go to shows and be like, this guy's playing prog rock, I'll never be able to play guitar like that. Yeah, 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 that, <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that is, yeah. that is, that is, that could be, <laughs> yeah. that could be a very, very good point that it's just that, that it does hit home at that, you know, because of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I never really thought about it like that, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, that raw energy from, from shows I think is more about, you know, the the environment sometimes than it is about the band because you can yeah, go see right. a decent band at a great <laughs> venue and like you're a fan for life um so let's put the mic around the room i do want to ask you guys what do you think makes a great live show we've all seen a bunch of live shows playing at a bunch of live shows what do you think it is that's a common thread between going to a show that you're fulfilled with and one that you wish you would have stayed at home and watched netflix i have a whole big long theory on this but i'll hold off <laughs> I think it's almost uh, the things, the aspects you don't notice about a live show that really cut through. You, you know, you think about sound quality, you think about the way that you try to get the audience to participate with the band, and these are all things that you're not really aware of as an audience member. But uh, once you start playing music live and expose yourself to live music on top of that, those are the threads that at least I see. Yeah. Charlie? Well... The theory revolves around a concept I've dubbed entertainment value. It's not terribly unique in the name, but essentially it encompasses a lot of things. One is musicianship, another is showmanship, Mm -hmm. and the combination of those two, plus the way, um, as an artist, really your entire job is to transmit an emotion to another person, right? And you need to make a connection somehow. Some artists are extremely animated, and while their particular musician skills may be lacking, their animation on stage makes up for it. You know, mm-hmm. So it's a sliding scale. You don't need to be one or the other, but of course you need to be both at some level. Uh, like mm-hmm. let's, A perfect example I like to give is like Kurt Cobain. Absolutely not a shredding guitar player, not even probably all that good of a guitar player for mm-hmm. all practical purposes. In yeah. fact, yeah. It's, it's beyond a shadow of a doubt the most talented guy in that band was Dave Grohl, right? Like yeah, Everybody yeah, knows yeah. it, right? So, yeah. But that guy... His words could move people, you know, and, and he was able to transmit an emotion really, really well through that. So, like, that's one aspect of entertainment value, you know, and when you're going to go see somebody live, you need to be able to connect with the band. And everybody connects differently. You just have to be that perfect blend that somebody's looking for because, like, I really like tons of showmanship. Other people like tons of musicianship. Yeah. Other people don't care about showmanship or musicianship. They just want the message. Like, Elliot Smith is a perfect example of this. That guy stood on stage and played an acoustic guitar, but his message was very, very powerful, yeah. you know? Um, unfortunately, of course, he committed suicide on stage as well. But like, uh, but that's a good example of like that. But then, like Dream Theater, on the other hand, their showmanship is really poor. They just stand there the whole time, but their musicianship is off the charts. Yeah. So, of course, people are, uh, love that because their parts are so complicated. And then you have like the Mars Volta, where like Cedric is literally climbing the rafters and pulling down lights and just being a madman and not even singing on key. Like if you watch the earlier versions of the Mars Volta Live or at the drive-in, like, the guy was just an animal, right? But the people resonated with that. Yeah. Right? And, like, Rage Against the Machine is a perfect example, too. Zach De La Rocca can't hold a tune to save his life, but he was angry, and that's what people wanted. They wanted that, you know? And so the, the perfect blend for a live show is, like, finding that way to connect to the fans that, that you know... That, anyways, there's more to it than that, but that's that's the the nutshell version of yeah. entertainment value. I, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's crazy at all. It's a <laughs> wonderful no, theory. No, 
It's complex. Um, it's a complex interaction that happens between the audience and the uh, and the. But it doesn't happen on recordings alone. You know, you need to be in that live space. You need to be uh, feeling the energy of the band. And and there's a certain uh, personality thing to it. You know, like you want to see someone live that produced the song or the recording. You know, that that is you know in your burned in your memory. You know, and seeing uh, and it's a unique experience. You know that that. You know, the recording can happen over and over and over again in the exact same way, and you can get the same thing off of it. But you also, uh, you know, it's like bubblegum or something. It runs out of flavor or something <laughs> after a while. But, you know, that going to a live show, literally, you know, seeing someone on stage, like, you know, banging the strings on their guitar or thumping the keys or the drums or whatever, and knowing that it's that person, you know, that recorded the song, you know, that's a pretty special experience. I always try to be mindful of that exact point. Like I'm sharing this space with someone who's created a soundtrack for me. I, I better appreciate yeah. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, furthermore, it's, you know, you're inviting the audience onto the stage because it's a singular experience. Everybody's a part of it. You know, but you, we forget that sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mostly emotionally, but sometimes physically as well. <laughs> yeah, right, right, totally. <laughs> well, next song on our playlist I want to play here was the uh, 666 Conducer. Um, who brought mm -hmm. this in? Someone from the Pining Hearts. So was this like a group decision? It was Kiv, but he made it on behalf of me without me consciously being aware. <laughs> oh. He knew. I don't know. It's what, kind of a magical. What does this song mean to you? Uh, it's just a groove. It's just a great groove. Man. Yeah. yeah that and I kind of dissected before, you know. The recording, too. A yeah, lot of people need yeah. to check out this record because the yeah. sonic quality is so good. Yeah. Uh, well, we're talking about festival bands and we're listening to influences. Stick around. I've got Pseudoboss, Foxy Lemon, and the Pining Hearts until 9 o'clock here on Portland Radio Project. Biffy Claro here on Sounds of PDX. You're listening to Portland Radio Project on PRP.FM or 99.1 FM. If you're listening to us on the web right now, hit us up on the talk board or even on your mobile device. Tell us what festival bands you are into. Uh, during that break, we had uh, Lachlan from Foxy Lemon join us. How are you, man? Uh, doing well. How are you guys? Good, good, good. Thanks for being here. Um, so this is another open question to the room. We all grew up in the day and age, at least... I think so, um, where we got concert videos from our buddies or went to somebody's house and was like, you got to watch this concert. What was your favorite concert video as a kid? I mean, there's plenty of great uh, ones. So Steve Ray Vaughan at the Elmo Combo. Oh. Um, yeah. God, dude, that he tears that Stratocaster apart, man. His Riviera yeah. Paradise. Yeah, oh, that's a really gosh. good version of it. Yes. Lenny on that one's a classic. Um, Third Rock from the Sun, Hendrix cover. He just, I don't know how the guitar gets rebuilt every <laughs> performance. It, it's the toughest thing ever, but yeah, that's mine. That's a, that's a really good concert pick. Um, God, I just had it in my head. What was it? Last Waltz, right? That's, I guess that's a typical answer. And then I always like the jazz fusion guys, man, like Chick Corea, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. They're always so much fun to watch. Man. Yeah. They're just bugging out, right? <laughs> did you get to see the new Shaco Pastorius documentary? Yeah, I did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's on Netflix. That was great, Must man. see, yeah. I think it came and went, though, man. It's like, Damn. if you missed it. Yeah. That's my Netflix and chill right there. Yeah. <laughs> chill with a beer. Right. And myself. Yep. Lachlan, anything come to mind that you watched as a kid growing up? Uh, Queen, We Will Rock You, because I came from a more choral classical background so when i first heard like stones like their 
kind of semi-off tune singing. It was just kind of like, eh. And then someone showed me Queen, and that's what got me into rock and roll, because they have that <laughs> operatic, yeah. but, you know, ballsy rock and roll. And then mm -hmm. uh, someone, someone was like, oh, you should check out that. So I went to Best Buy, and I was like, okay, I have to find this. And, and I found it, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's just phenomenal. The, the showmanship of Freddie Mercury mm. is almost, I think, unparalleled. He goes from being, you know, fully dressed, and by the end, he's wearing hot pants with a <laughs> with a white Superman T-shirt and a kerchief tied around his neck and, a, and like a and a slave hat. Like it's just, and it's phenomenal. His half microphone stand. I love that. That's so yeah. cool. This, what a prop. One of yeah. the best stage props. You I can't rock. cover it because everyone's just going to be like, dang, that's the Freddie Mercury thing. It's he iconic. Yeah. Yeah. He owned it. And yeah. he also owned the heel tap. The putting oh, one yeah. foot forward oh, and yeah. tapping yeah. the heel instead of your toe. And it's so simple, but it, that's Freddie. You can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Trademarked. <laughs> well said. Eddie, how about you? Um, I would have to say um, there's a bunch of Steely Dan videos that my dad always used to like have and play around that was just like his. He was just in love with Steely Dan, so I think that was like some of my earliest childhood, you know, um, videos of seeing, you know, Steely Dan. I can't remember honestly which ones, but he has like a bunch of, you know, of like tapes he's made, you know, of like back when you could like practically make a mixtape on your VHS. Yeah. Yeah. He had a bunch of those, you know, I'd listen to the, watch those all the time and it'd be like... The, the PBS know, like, collection. Yeah, there'd be like a commercial in between, you know, it's up. like, yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. crazy tracking, exactly. Steely Dan's a good one to start with, yeah, talking about yeah. musicians. How about you, Charlie? Actually, when I was a kid, I didn't watch very many videos. I, TV was sort of banned in our house for a lot of reasons. Um, and, uh, but I did... The one thing that sticks out in my mind was I did get to go see Phil Collins live, but it wasn't a traditional show. It was sort of like held at something like the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall, but it was it was a show where he'd play a song, but then it was like epic question and answer sessions. Huh. And I was a little tiny kid when my mom brought me to go see this, and um, it was awesome. It was like one of the only things I ever remember as a little kid, like live-wise, and uh, it was so cool because... People just ask him questions about his music and his production and even his life and wow. and he was uh, really kind about it and very very straightforward about things and I think that was uh, probably one of the coolest concerts I've ever been to. Um, oh, I actually did Don. I mean, I did watch some Elton John live and that yeah. that stuff was wild. I, I really liked Elton John. All right, Lachlan. Uh, we're gonna listen to Foxy Lemons' "Quite a Bit of Booty." Any side stories on this one? What inspired this track? Uh, Kev, one of the guitarists, had the lick. And we were just, you know, a lot of the songs are written, you know, just kind of vamping on it, and and then uh, we'll vamp on it, and then the vocalist Casey will, you know, sing some nonsense over it, and and then so we were gonna take a break, and uh, don't remember who said it or something, but we were like joking about what Casey was saying because half of it is words and half of it's nonsense, <laughs> and most of it doesn't make any sense at all. And something about booty comes up. Usually it's, you know, sexual and kind of crass. You know, we're a bunch of guys <laughs> hanging out. And uh, and then someone said, just started saying stuff. Oh, that part where you said something really fast. And blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, quite a bit of booty. And everyone was like, well, that sounds kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And then when we came back from the break, it just, Casey just integrated it in and it became the, the name and the hook. Yeah, it's a wonderful track. Yeah, this is the uh, first one by one of our special guests, Foxy Lemon. This is quite a bit of booty here on Sounds of PDX.
That's Pseudoboss here on Sounds of PDX. Charlie, well done. I love those recordings, man. <laughs> Thanks. That's mostly due to Ian Watts. Let's give him credit where it's due. He was our producer and also owner of the recording studio we recorded at, The Magic Closet. So shout out to Ian. <laughs> he can also be found on stage with Ape Machine. Yeah. They just played at Dante's the other night, and they had their original drummer back. What? Oh, my God. Goodness, they killed it. They played a cover of Frankenstein that blew my doors off. I was like, holy cow. So, <laughs> What a great band. Yeah. Uh, Eddie, we were talking earlier about what makes a good live show, and, and one of the questions I had on my list is actually, we'll circle back around to you for this. I wanted to ask all of you how bands can improve their live shows. And we're talking bands who haven't done a bunch of gigging. What advice would you give to up-and-coming bands right now? Like, what, what can a band do today to improve their live show? Oh, um... Yeah, I think it was kind of like a little bit like my opinion about the last question. It's kind of like execution, like what's the most important thing. Um, I just really think that portraying that perfect message across, you know, I feel like the, I feel like that's just like the, the, the sheer power in it, you know. So if anything, um, tightening up, you know, um, as a band, you know, it's just like that's really important. I think that people really start to pay attention to you when they notice, you know, that 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 that. That, that tightness, you know, is there and that, that attention to detail is put into it, you know. Mm -hmm. It really starts to, it really resonates with other people, you know. Do you think with fans and musicians? Um, yeah, even musicians too, you know. Yeah. Like, um, definitely, yeah, definitely both. I think there's three definitive steps a band can take to do better live. One, record every single show, like with a GoPro or a cell phone or something, and just set it up and review it later. Go watch yourself live. Football teams do it. Every professional sports team ever does it because they can watch themselves and see where they're messing up and then improve. The other, part, uh, the other thing you can do is get feedback. Again, I always like to compare the entertainment industry to professional sports because you can't get any better than the NFL, right? So if you want to be the best, you have to do what they do. And what they do is they have coaches. They have feedback. They have a feedback system in place to provide them insight where they normally wouldn't. Because when you're on stage performing, you're not thinking about what you look like. You're just in the moment right there, right? It's, it's a very different atmosphere. So what you need to be working on is you need to practice the things that you're not thinking about so that it becomes muscle memory, right? Um, so getting somebody who you trust a lot to watch your shows and give you the hard feedback. You don't, don't get an enabler. You need somebody who's going to be like, no, you suck at this. Get better at it. Um, I've always dabbled with the idea of like literally hiring like a band coach. That could just go to all your shows. They sit in the back. They watch your show with a with a GoPro going, and then as a band, you guys review it and you say, "All right, well, this is where we can improve." Um, and uh, yeah, and I agree with with Ed. The execution is is going to be key uh, as well. So nice, yeah. Lachlan. How about you? Any advice to younger bands these days? It, maybe some shows you go and see, and you'd like to tap them on the shoulder. <laughs> um, don't get it, it's kind of a gray area, but don't get too caught up in your own head. You have to walk a fine line between being into the music and playing it, but also being present with the crowd. And I, I fall victim to that too sometimes where I'm, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it just, you, you go with the crowd and it's great that you're getting lost in the music, but sometimes you kind of alienate yourself from the crowd. So yeah, practice, be tight, all that stuff, but really try and get the right amount of lost in the music. Mm. Don't, don't use it as a, as a shield, is it, basically what I'm getting to. And, and as a bass player, sometimes you can kind of fall into that pre pretty easy because you're like, oh, I'm the bass player, whatever. <laughs> just going to be like, oh, this feels good. Like, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm here to entertain people. And then 
And then, yeah, just look around at your bandmates and then look around the crowd. And then, you know, oftentimes that, that'll snap me out of just the pure music, like, kind of shell that sometimes I can, I can build. Yeah, everybody that's a musician gets what my wife calls guitar face. She's like, yeah. that's when you know you're in the flow. Like, you yeah. don't even care how stupid you look. I was like, yeah, yeah that's absolutely true. Yeah. Ryan, how about you? Any advice for bands? Yeah. Um, just establish, you know, uh, with yourself what your own level of professional uh, professionalism is. You know, it's very easy to kind of like say that getting to the to the venue on time is kind of it, right? You tap out at that point, right? But it's like that's not even half of it. You have to establish, you know, what the appropriate amount of attention to detail is for your show. So talking about live sound, um, you know, promotion, all that sort of stuff. And if you can establish that ahead of time rather than kind of getting your head spinning, then you're, you know, 10 steps ahead of most other bands that are out there. It's great advice. We don't hear a lot from the business side to be prepared for shows, but that's yeah. very important. Give it. Go see other bands, you mm. know. Go out and see what's out there and what do they sound like live. What do, you know, go see, uh, you know, bigger bands in your area. Maybe not the the guys that are, have already make it, but the made it, but the but the people that are currently making it. You know, mm -hmm. as it were. Um, I'm not sure where that distinction lies exactly, but you know, bigger bands in your area. Maybe just maybe just a couple of rungs up from your band or whatever in the business sense or in their careers, um, and then check out what they're doing, man, and then. You know, see what you can do, uh, see what you can take from that, see what you can leave. You know, I think it's sometimes hard, guys, to go out and see a lot of other local shows because you're playing and practicing and you're in the scene. I mean, it's so it's an effort to go see other bands, right? Right. It's yeah. Catch twenty two. Well, Try to, which can't. Feedback from fans is also a good. Uh, the, that's really the, the biggest one too, because at the end of the day, your lifeblood comes from the income from your fans. If you really want to mm -hmm. make it a professional career, and so. Uh, if you're at your merch booth selling merch and they're coming up and talking to you, be like, hey, what did you like most about the show? You know? Hmm. And if you're really feeling ballsy, ask them what they didn't like about the show. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, and get that feedback. But usually at a show, maybe that could be saved for another time, you know, because <laughs> you kind of want to focus on the positive at a show. Yeah, but you're connecting with people. I think you bring up really good points. Yeah. Um, all right, we're going to turn the mic back to the Pining Hearts because one of them brought in a uh, Nowhere Lullaby by Built to Spill. Oh. Who brought that in as an influence? That's me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I I I just really uh, I just really like that song. Uh, I like the guitar tone in it, and I like the chorus, and uh, and I, it just influences uh, how I sound on guitar. I'll never forget. It was uh, in 1999. I was visiting my brother at college, and his roommate had Built to Spills. First time I ever heard of him, and then later saw them at a festival for the first time. So it's quite applicable. I'm glad you put him on the list. Give it. This is Nowhere Lullaby by Built to Spill here on Portland Radio Project. the innovators that's radiohead here on portland radio project i'm talking to the guys from foxy lemon pseudo boss and the pining hearts and we were all just kind of gushing over radiohead a little bit one of those bands i think that even if you're a super fan or not they've got an album or a couple tracks that you're just like how the hell did they do that they're just so amazing yeah what do you think it takes to put on a good show as far as how do you find bands to play with and why is that important to find either like-minded bands or bands with cross-genres to, to play shows with. It's, it's always challenging. Yeah, because you guys did a show with Adverse, right? 
almost a year ago. <laughs> that was for my birthday. <laughs> oh, that's right. It was for your birthday. That, there's no there's no holds barred on that bill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and I come from a background. I mean, I've been gigging in Portland since I was 13. And when I was a kid, you could book a metal band and a hip hop band together. And it was still a great show. Yeah. Uh, try to get a genre specific. But in the case of Pseudoboss, there's only a handful of bands in Portland that really sound like us. Luckily, this bill is one of them, which it's going to be like a really close, similar sound. But mm-hmm. I mean... And then there's also factors like you got to, unfortunately, like you reach a point where you like at first you kind of got to take every gig you can get, right? And then you reach a point where like maybe people start reaching out to you because they know your band pulls people in, but you can only help so many people out like that because your, your name is on the line too at some level. So you sort of got to pick and choose your battles where like, all right, because all of us are trying to reach out to bigger groups like Pseudoboss would love to gig with like Red Fang, which by the way, if you're listening, let's gig together. <laughs> and like, because they're like at the next tier, you know what I'm saying? Like for us, like if this was Guitar Hero, we're reaching for their level. Um, and then, but then other bands are reaching up to Pseudoboss, think, you know, thinking that, you know, they could gig with us and maybe gain some fans from our, our pocket of fans. But then like with all these guys, you know, all of us have a pretty well-established fan base, Fox and Lemon, Pining Hearts and Pseudoboss. Mm-hmm. So like putting this bill together is, you know, really, really strong in its own right. We don't have to worry about necessarily like which band's not going to pull their weight, you know, just by the natural of it. But it, you have to sort of take in mind. But then there's those other bands where it's like, God, they're just so good, but they're so new on the scene. You're like, all right, I believe in what you're doing. I'll book you regardless of your draw because I think you're that awesome, you know? Yeah, and, that says a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the risk is always there, you know, when you're putting a bill together. It's, yeah. Especially from the business side, you know, the marketing and yeah. that as well. Yeah. yeah, it's really important to enjoy the music uh, of the other bands you're playing with. I mean, I uh, that's part of the fun for me. I mean, there's, you know, uh, I ain't in it for the money. I ain't in it for my health. Um, <laughs> but I am in it to, um, in, in the word, you know, um, the late, great Warren Zevon. Uh, but, uh, but I do think uh, that seeing other acts live especially in their nascent form is really uh really special man it's really special aspect to the music industry and it's art sort of like any other in the sense that it's group art you know everybody's got to be on board to paint the picture that happens you know that that one night uh that one time you know and there's people there to witness it and that's kind of a cool interaction but uh yeah man i i i think uh live performance is uh is a funny thing. It's a complicated object. <laughs> yeah, a forced shared experience sometimes until you get there and figure out what it's about. Sometimes it's a gamble to go to a local show. But some of the best shows I've ever been to were blind shows where I didn't know any of the bands on the bill. I'd say in Portland it's almost always a gamble to go to a local show. You can really get hit or miss performances. <laughs> this is true. So many bands. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, exactly. The, the, these days anyone can make a demo, anyone can record, anyone. So the, the filter system, is, is the bar has been set well much, much lower. Yeah, music fan, music consumers are highly skeptical. You know, yeah, good know, point. I'm highly skeptical. <laughs> well, and they get to be more picky. They have a lot more to choose from. And back in 1970s, it's like you had the record store to choose from. Yep. And you basically went off what album art and what people told you. Now it's like, okay, I've got millions of hours of albums that I could listen to. So I better make damn well sh- sure that uh, what I'm going to listen to, I'm going to enjoy. Because yeah. I could just sift through this... Uh, just hours and hours and hours of, of chaff and never find the wheat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a double-edged sword from a musician standpoint. People have the uh, accessibility to create music, 
But how does anyone keep up with anything with independent labels? Like you said, Island was going to put out their main act and two sub acts every year in the 70s. You know what I mean? Atlantic, all the record labels, they had their marketing plan. People used to go and just go to record stores on release days at certain quarters before the holidays and just... Oh, Columbia artists? Okay, I'm going to buy the, all of the new Columbia releases or RCA releases that are yeah. out. People were very loyal to labels at the time. But but think about it. To get to that point, what did that band have to do? Sure. That band had to had to practice, had to impress people, had to play tons of gigs. Now to get to that point where people are exposed to your music, you've got to have a lot of friends on Facebook. You've got to, nothing to do with musicianship. So yeah, yeah the, the filter system just isn't really in place anymore. Mm. That's, why pe- that's why consumers have to be so, so picky. That's a really good point. I think it's uh, really important to like the music, but also in another regard to find kind of a fellowship because like, like fr- you know, a friendship inside of it all because like, it's it's kind of like you, like a lot of people realize with the music industry it's kind of like who you know as well you know so like finding you those are bands that resonate with you and on are on your team you know that see your vision as well mm-hmm. those I feel like are the most important for you you know because they're they're gonna help you carry that vision out you know so I think finding just like identifying with people as people beyond music you know is just this really important thing that I think you know isn't brought up a lot you know like folks who understand your message yeah 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 Yeah. like getting getting really to know people and resonating with that man because um you know um i I feel like they're gonna you know help help that you know and uh i don't know it's just important i feel yeah i often find that too like there's a lot of music that people listen to but sometimes if you happen to meet the artist or connect with them you go back and listen to music and you you get so much more invested because you feel like you've had a a more personal connection with them right and again that's the importance of of a good live show and sticking around meeting the band saying hey to everybody right. not only that but that one bit of advice Feldman gave like from the first Mogo meetup was introduce your fans to your other fans because your friends come in pockets right you know they don't really know each other yeah. but one of the best pe- and it still resonates in my head he's like introduce all of your fans to your other fans like make sure they all know each other because once your fans know they can go see other people that they recognize whether they're friends outside of that or not but they know they can go to a show and there's like a good community yep. involved man that I just like that's still a huge light bulb going off in my head like how can I build that community amongst my fans you, you know? already have that much in common and A, you're out, you're going to see music. You're seeing a band that your buddy likes or is either on the bill with them. Yeah, they, to, to capitalize on those commonalities is, is king in the business. Uh, we're going back to the PDX Spotlight playlist, headed here to the second hour. Stick around. We have Foxy Lemon, Pseudoboss, and the Pining Hearts here on Sounds of PDX. That's Dave Benny here on Portland Radio Project. Not the entire track. We had to find a short one because I believe, Kivit, you brought that in, right? Uh, yeah, that's for uh, Joshua, who can't be here, though. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Dave Benny's an alto player. That's really kind of a band a band tune. We all love to, to, to jam that song. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it's just, there's just something a little bit different about it. Mm-hmm. And it's also um, very ripe for soloing. I mean, it's just basically... Uh, you know, alter dominant or something, you know, just a dominant chord, pretty much just whatever you want to do over this dominant chord, um, which is great um, and really fun and allows for a lot of uh, elaboration. Just stay on the ride, right? <laughs> it's, a good way, it's a good way to say hello. You know? 
Yeah. He's like, hi. It's like your jazz handshake. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. We've got uh, the Pining Hearts, Foxy Lemon, and Pseudo Boston studio with us. We are moving along in the playlist. This is a pick brought into us by, I think, Kevin from Foxy Lemon, Sympathy for the Devil. It's a really great performance from Rock and Roll Circus from 1968. Rolling Stones here on Portland Radio Project. Want to give a shout out to a couple people hanging out with us tonight. Like I said, Veronica earlier, Carol Maxwell's hanging out saying she's enjoying the show, and Heather Hansen is saying howdy, giving us some uh, promo shout outs on the talk board as well. What's up, Heather? Thanks for hanging out. She's got a great show here on uh, Portland Radio Project as well. well. We were talking about festival bands, and we were talking with folks from Foxy Lemon, Pseudo Boss, and the Pining Hearts. Uh, I want to talk to you all about incorporating covers into your live set and how you may feel about that, for better or worse. I personally like them. I think you grow a lot as a musician because you're... You're forced, you know, a lot of times in art, it's hard, sometimes it's hard to start with a, a blank canvas. So if you if you have some fenced-in area to work within boundaries, um, you can actually push your creative limits that much further uh, because you know what you can't do, and that's just, you know, make a carbon copy because that's boring. Um, but in the perspective, so I think it's great, but in the perspective of our band, there's conflicting opinions. So we've actually only <laughs> ever done, we've done a handful of covers in the past just to like fill up time at like a wine gig we had. But overall, we don't, Foxy Lemon doesn't do many covers or any covers practically uh, just because of, of differing opinions because it's like, ah, I don't want to do covers. Well, I want to do covers. Well, let's just write songs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sometimes I think people, especially when you're starting out as a band, they're so, they don't want to do covers because they think, you know, that's kind of its own type of musician gig and career. But, um, yeah, Charlie, what are your thoughts on it? I've seen you do a Rage cover before. I love covers um, just because, you know, the imitation is the finest form of flattery, uh, you know. And so I always like playing the music that I grew up with because... It's just as exciting to play it as it is to listen to it. In fact, it's more fun to play it, in my opinion, because then you can do whatever you want with it. You know, mm -hmm. your own brushstroke at that moment. Um, but I also have like a moral conflict with it, probably much the same as Foxy Lemon, because like at the end of the day, if people are just coming to hear a cover, then you know it's kind of like Alien Ant Farm, right? They got big on that Michael Jackson cover, and then when they play their original music, nobody really cares, right? So. What do you do at that point, right? And that's sure. that's always the the balance. So like with Pseudo Boss, we do play covers, uh, but we try to incorporate them into our set as like an addition to other music. Like we'll we'll sort of like have it transition from one song to the next almost immediately, you know, without any kind of like stop or something like that. Um, only a handful of times have we just done a straight up cover of a song like stopped before we played it and they're like, hey, this is a cover because we like it, and then we stopped after we played it. Like most of the time it's like you know, like we've added some Beatles into our music, but it's like it's the outro to one of our songs, you know, mm -hmm. like by adding the Beatles in. And um, when we do Queen, it's like like a massive introduction into yet another song that goes into Pseudo Boss. And then actually <laughs> one fun one was we were booked for one of the JFL shows where we were opening for Ramble On, the Led Zeppelin tribute group. So throughout the whole set, we sprinkled in 
like Led Zeppelin licks and all of our <laughs> stuff to where people thought we were gonna like start Led Zeppelin songs and then just messing with people we'd go right into a pseudo boss song like and <laughs> and actually luckily the guys from Ramble On had a great sense of humor about that. That was <laughs> the Wonder Ballroom show. No, that was actually that was we got to know them at the uh, after the fact, but it was the Doug Fur show when we'd never met them before, so we didn't know how they were gonna take it. <laughs> but that you know that that kind of having a good sense of humor about it's always fun too. But like. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely a major proponent of original music, though, which is, I, I have a lot of respect for Foxy Lemon for not for intentionally not doing covers because then the only thing that their fans are there for is their music. Mm -hmm. There's no chance of any kind of misconception as to what people are there for, you know. Yeah, so, touche. Yeah, um, I think it's important to just like blur those lines and not be like a, in my opinion, just like one one trick pony. Like that's why I really like my one of my picks was like the the Grateful Dead. You know, I just feel like they really did that. They blurred those lines. They could play other people's music, and they always made it theirs. You know, and people could tell that musicality in it. You know, and it really people like. I just feel that it's like sometimes covers are almost a a way to almost see like how you can do other people's music. Mm. You know, and it's like almost a good example or a way to kind of display your musicality in a different way. Um, that's not making it so serious to your creation because you know, sometimes music's so serious you know it makes it more playful um, another attitude that you know that music's not um, tuned into all the time you know what i'm saying because you're just everybody's real serious about that so you can uh kind of like uh lock say like have more fun with it you know and like have more uh creativity behind it you know what i'm saying um and it's uh just kind of gives your brain a, like i react to a different part of your brain i feel <laughs> like you know like in general, um, so yeah, I, I like covers. I think they're important. Yeah, that at that point, it's not your band's baby, and if it's yeah. easy to change around, yeah, right. yeah, I think uh, it's it's really easy to do kind of careless covers, right? You know, and just do the the people pleasing thing or something, and that's why there's a whole stigma about it. But I think there are kind of two solid reasons to do a cover, and and one which I really like is if you know a song and you feel like the whole message hasn't been kind of put out there yet, right? Or it hasn't been interpreted. And H uh, Hendrix is a great example of that. I mean, he took songs that probably would never have reached the audience they did and exposed that side to them. And the other, uh, the other reason is to show a side of your band that people may not be aware of. Hmm. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah, I saw a great local band called The Audio Sequence, and they did, like, a verse of a Chili Peppers song in between yeah. two of theirs that transitioned into one. You know, it's yeah, yeah, this really... Yeah. Clever little hooks that actually fit their set extremely well. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, I'm always interested to see what bands feel about covers. Uh, yeah. Next here in the playlist is a song that was brought in by the folks from Foxy Lemon. This is Sam Cooke, Bring It On Home To Me. And this is live from the Harlem Square Club in 1963. I want my PRP.FM. We've been listening to selections tonight by Foxy Lemon, Pseudo Boss, and The Pining Hearts. Uh, we were just listening to Chris Potter, High Noon. That was a selection brought in to us by Kivit on behalf of... Who's your horns player again? Uh, Joshua. Is that a good guess? Was that yeah, for Joshua? Yeah, okay. totally, man. He's a big Chris Potter fan. Yeah, we connected over that song. Um, it's just got an amazing groove, man, and Chris Potter has uh, been at it for years and is kind of one of the, the staples on the modern jazz scene. Was that a Rhodes on that? Yeah. Like a Rhodes or? Um, Yuri Kane. Oh, yeah, man. Just gorgeous. Um, so Charlie was talking to the room um, during the break about the kind of the business of the music business, and... Um, 
Fellman gave some phenomenal advice when we met, um, I think it was MoGo meeting in January um, at Dougfer about the booking. first one. And, was it the first one? No, it was the second one. Second one. Yeah. I think the first one was at Star. Yeah, first um, one was at Star, yeah. But that Doug Fur meeting was really powerful, and there was a lot of really good takeaways. Um, I don't want to duplicate any, any information, so what would you say is the most important thing as a band when you're getting in the groove is like how many times you play, what venues you play, what's some advice that you can give to somebody as far as like a loose roadmap for starting to get uh, gigging and, and picking up fans? Oh, God, it's so complicated because it's such a complex system, but really like it boils down to supply and demand, in my opinion. You're, you, can, you can be gigging all day, every day. And, but the problem is, is your fans only have so much money and they're only going to choose to come and see you so often, right? So the goal, if you're gigging a lot, would be to find people who've never heard of you before. Like, and how do you do that? Well, playing at traditional venues is, is one way, but honestly, I've found it's more productive to just go out and busk. Mm -hmm. uh, busking is probably the fastest, easiest way to connect with people who've never heard your music. They're going to stick around if they're interested. And if they tip you, you can give them like a little download thing. And uh, actually a guy I've known for a while, Andrew Gorney, he's been a busker for a long, long time. And I always asked him, I, you know, I said, you know, why the hell would you busk? What, what good is that? And he just shocked me with his response because every time somebody gave him a dollar, he would give them an iTunes download little one song download right and he's like you know put it this way like every day i'll make maybe anywhere from 80 to 120 bucks in a few hours right and if i'm giving away one song what bands in portland do you know are selling 80 songs a day on itunes great point and i was just like i literally fell over i was just like oh man you nailed it like yeah. because because i don't know any i literally have no friends that are selling i mean none of us can claim that right yeah nobody's selling 80 songs a day on iTunes, right? And he, whether they go and choose to download it or not is a different story, right? But, but the fact that he laid it out like that, I was like, great. And not only that, but you're, you're finding new fans because, you know, at a venue, you're always sort of confined to the fans that you have. And if they are compassionate enough to bring a friend who's never heard you because they feel like they need to hear your music, then, then you've gained a new fan maybe, right? Yeah. Busking, on the other hand, you're always gaining new fans because if they're interested, they'll stop, they'll give you money, and if you have merch set out and something like that, they'll take it away with them. Um, and that's probably like uh, one of my best advice to get started, but really the supply and demand boils down to if you play too much, uh, you won't have enough of your own fans, but you'll gain new ones, and if you play too little, uh, the, you know, the, the supply is less, so the demand will be more. So you'll have a much more, a better show at your, you know, more people will show up, but you're less likely to gain new fans mm. that way. Um, unless you set up a bill where it's like, you know, they're bringing, you know, that the other bands are going to bring fans that you can hopefully, it's not really stealing. It's more like just sharing. Yeah. You're sharing, you know, fans you can oh. share really, you know, <laughs> some bands are really like protective of their fans. And I'm like, no man, like fans like what they're going to like. You're not. Yeah. Yeah. They're not, but I don't know. That's my two cents on it. Yeah. I dig that. Yeah. Any thoughts from this side of the room on, uh, starting your adventures and gigging? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, there's definitely, you know, the getting your boots on the ground and there's also kind of like searching for a voice because I think the audience base wants a voice that they can claim as their own you know and kind of find what that would be for your community and how you could form one yeah I really like that and it's important too I think as to go like we said in the in the first hour to go see other live bands but yeah. Charlie brought up a good point like invite your friends invite other people who are like 
you may not go see a lot of live shows, but you like this band that's popular, go check out Sudabas with me yeah. or Foxy Lemon or Pining Hearts. Yeah. Um, and cross-pollination, I, I do love that word. Because, I'm going to steal that one from you. Yeah, I'm you can't over-pollinate good music, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, this uh, next song here is One of These Days from... Uh, it has now become one of my live uh, favorite live videos. This is uh, Pink Floyd live at Pompeii, mm. One of These Days. And Charlie brought this in. Yes, uh, I love that entire DVD. It's yeah. amazing. Breathtaking cinematography, everything was so ahead of its time. If Another you... one great to get stoned to and just <laughs> watch the whole, the whole thing. It does the trick. Hey, we're in Oregon, we can talk about it. That's now. right. <laughs> so if you haven't gotten stoned and watched uh, Pink Floyd live at Pompeii, go ahead and do it. Here's your sample now. That's Queen here on Portland Radio Project, and Heather Hansen was asking who brought that in. It was the gentleman from Foxy Lemon who brought us in. Uh, Queen, that was our second Queen track of the night because we're talking about festival bands, and I think ultimately the lesson from tonight is festival bands are good live bands <laughs> and, and what it takes to do that. Um, I wanted to ask all of you a fun question. Um, wish list, what's the, the venue that you would play before you die? You've got one to play between now and you check out what's it going to be. Big or small? Um, I, I know exactly which one. It's a Red Rocks Amphitheater in Morrison, Colorado. That's a yeah. good Golden top Ashes, sorry. five. Sure. It's it's guaranteed. Yeah, that's I I have to play that before I die. It looks like an outdoor church to music. Oh, that venue is something else. Something else, yeah. I you know I was always intrigued by Yanni at the Acropolis, so uh, I'm gonna go with the Acropolis. Yeah, it was a cool show too. I remember watching that. Greece in Greece, or yeah. Oh, right, right. <laughs> yeah, and they retrofitted like all these really nice lights and to watch that concert's kind of yeah, it's man. really crazy. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. a good pick. Ryan, how about you? Uh, I think it'd have to be Royal Albert Hall it's just just cuz the heritage, man. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the throwback. I think that's where Cream played their last show. I believe so too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a really yeah. good pick. And uh, Zeppelin some of their first, you know, biggest breakthrough shows for sure. Yeah. If you haven't seen The Killers live at Royal Albert Hall, if you're a fan or not, it's worth checking out. It's a really, really good show. Very cool. Lachlan, how about you? Um, I don't know. Just for the sake of theatrics, I think the Sydney Opera House would be pretty awesome to play. <laughs> yeah. Even though it's not typical rock and roll, I think playing a rock show there would be pretty cool. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. That's a good pick. Charlie, where do you want to play before you go? Uh, I've always been a huge Led Zeppelin fan and so Madison Square Garden has been on my bucket list like written down for years now but also I would like to play at the Viper Room yeah uh, just the heritage there too is insane what, so. do you, what do you think about that this may take us on a little bit of a side tangent but like uh, what do you think about pay to play places like Viper or Whiskey or Rainbow I personally absolutely refuse to play them I, I won't I won't do it because um, you're just making money for somebody else when you could take that exact same energy and, and work out a better deal elsewhere. Yeah, so I, I like that. I think most of us <laughs> kind of agree with that. Yeah. Well, uh, gentlemen, before we send you off in the evening, we've got two more songs on the playlist. We're going to play uh, The Factory by Foxy Lemon, and then you know the song by heart by Pseudo Boss. but before we do, any shout-outs or uh, goodbyes you'd like to give us? Yeah, one. Shout-out to the Heavy Hustle guys who are practicing as we speak without me. So, <laughs> love you guys. Hey, Mom. 
Hey, Kivitz mom. Hi, Kivitz mom. Hi, Kivitz mom. Shout out to my injured wife. I hope you feel better soon, Eleni. Yes, best wishes from PRP here. Shout out to Heather Hansen. Shout out to Heather Hansen. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Heather. Um, shout out to anybody who's listening because you're awesome. And uh, yeah, give yourself a pat on the back because you rock. Yeah, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. If you're listening and at the show on Friday, say so, and I'll just give you some free merch. Yeah. Swear, swear to God. Man, you heard it yeah. from Charlie. Free merch. I'll give you the other band's free merch. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Cold dead hands. <laughs> uh, shout out to the community that of uh, musicians that I've made and you know have yet to meet. So. So you guys. Amen to that. Well, thank you guys for being here. It's been a great night. Can't believe the two hours just flew by. Until next time, be good to each other.